الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد just like there's nothing else in this uh, dunya and in this world which is uniform and consistent everything has variety has differences and there's ikhtilaf in everything ikhtilaf means a, a difference in the literal sense there's really nothing that is just uniform so likewise even when it comes to spirituality people will go through different types of challenges different types of emotions and they won't we don't always feel the same way so we don't always feel the same kind of uh, vigor and pleasure in our prayer for example uh, we don't always feel like doing as much worship as other times there are times when our heart is really feeling open and we feel like we want to do some worship and we enjoy the worship we can sit down and do something for a long time and at other times we just don't feel good it feels gloomy there's disquietude there is a, a feeling of kind of gloom so <clears throat> how do we negotiate these different feelings so lessons in the path will generally allow us to understand these various different uh, th these different types of feelings and emotions so that <clears throat> we're not in just one state and how we can move through these states the most successful salik the one who has had wusul is the one who generally masters the path to such a degree that he masters his emotions so when it comes to suluk when it comes to the path what's really most important is mastering one's emotions so that whenever in a feeling of vulnerability uh, a feeling of despondency a feeling of not being able to do the right thing basically getting ourselves to a stage where we know what allah requires from us in each of those stages and thus be able to worship so if we're making so many nawafil when we feel good then we also feel like doing the same even when we don't feel so good a small upset in our life should not be able to upset our schedule upset our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we don't want to be worshippers who only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we see that there's some bounty coming from him and when we see that we don't really see any kind of promotions or bounties or upgrades coming from him then we start feeling despondent and we give up and we, we, we don't do what we're supposed to do so we shouldn't be um, people who are just associated with with bounty and the feel, the feel good factor of these things so based on that ibn ataillah says ibn ibn ataillah says idha aradta an yanfatiha laka babur rajai fashhad ma minhu ilayka wa idha aradta an an yanfatiha laka babul khawfi fashhad ma minka ilayhi so now what this is telling us this isn't going to uh, th what this is going to deal uh, tell us about is actually how to even sometimes 
help us regulate our state. So when we don't feel a lot of hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do we get to feel more hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thus feel a bit better about ourselves? Because sometimes what happens is that the fear of our sins and our state from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes so strong and so intense that it actually starts disturbing us, that we start giving up and we start feeling there's no point to life, uh, there's no point to worship because we keep falling back into these things. So then this tells us how to increase the raja and the hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the other thing that it does is that if there's too much raja and we feel uh, too confident in that regard, then it tells us it tells us how to feel a bit more fear from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think we need both of these states because sometimes we just see ourselves high flying and in that sense we become a bit lax as well. So both of these states uh, one needs to be in both of these states in moderation and not in excess in any one of these states because if any of these states go overboard then a person starts becoming lax and giving up things so what he says here listen carefully he says if you want the door of hope opened for you hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then consider what comes to you from him consider everything that he's giving you and everything that he's bestowing upon us but if you want the door of sadness open to you, the, the door of fear and sadness and gloom open to you, then consider what goes to him from you. Again, these doors have to be opened up just enough to regulate, not too much that then we fall into the other side. It's almost like, like a flood barrier to regulate the waters. We need to open up and close, open up and close uh, like that. And it's a mental exercise. It's an aspect of faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mental exercise that needs to be done. So, what he says here is, <clears throat> when you want your hope to be increased and strengthened in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most benevolent and the giver, then start thinking about and testifying to everything that he has given to us. I mean, just start with the fact that we are believers. Just start to uh, the fact that we are believers and many, many other people are not believers. So just think of that. Then think, for example, that all the subtlety and all the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us. If you're a hafiz of the Quran, think that Allah has made you a hafiz of the Quran. If he's allowed you to take certain courses and learn your deen a bit more than others, then consider that to be beneficial. The fact that he's allowed us to pray salat on time then consider that to be a bounty from him. So actually focus on it. Don't take these things for granted because none of this is for granted. In, in all of its honesty and reality, none of these things are granted. Because not everybody prays, for example. Not everybody is able uh, to do dhikr each day. So for example, if we do have tawfiq to spend an hour in dhikr or half an hour in dhikr or even 15 minutes in dhikr to read a juz a day, for example, or whatever the case is, then consider that to be tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yesterday, we were at the, the, the Biska Awards and my professor was there, Professor uh, Abdul Halim, who was at SOAS. And, mashallah, you know, he's been at the university, he's done very, very good things there because he's managed to get a lot of Muslim professors in there. He encourages a lot of the Muslims to come and take the courses. And, you know, he constantly uh, defends Islam against the Orientalists and everything else. He's quite an older person, no beard, you know, and, you know, you, you don't expect him to, uh, you expect him to be just a perfect academic or whatever. Uh, but subhanAllah, I mean, yes, yesterday what he mentioned is that he became Hafiz 
at the, uh, in his days to get into the primary school at Azhar, primary school, you had to be a Hafiz of the Quran. Because I memorized the Quran by the age of 9, 10 <coughs> or 11. But by the age of 11, he had memorized the Quran. <coughs> and then after that, he said, my father made me take an oath that I would read some Quran every day. So he says, I read one juice every day. And generally in the underground when I'm traveling because, you know, you have to spend your time there. So generally I read the one, one juice of the Quran every day. So subhanAllah, that's a matter of tawfiq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't let everybody read so much Quran each day. It's not, <clears throat> it's not something easy to do, right? It's a matter of tawfiq. To read a juice a day is generally not that, you know, not, not something you can just do every day. So think of all of these bounties that Allah has given you. Make them a bounty. Make them a bounty. Don't take it as a... This is, this, this is the level of shukr as well. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us tawfiq to do a bit of dhikr, to stay away from certain harams and so on, then thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that and think of all of these kind of things. So aren't all of these things bounties from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Hasn't He been constantly giving us? Doesn't He constantly give us? And aren't there going to be more bounties that are also hoped for from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, He's prepared for us Jannat. He's going to be satisfied with us in the hereafter. We're going to see Him inshallah in the hereafter. So all of, and although none of those things are yet guaranteed for us, but at least we have a ticket for it. So far we have a ticket and we haven't lost that ticket which is La ilaha illallah. And we seem to be on the path to gaining that award inshallah. Right, it seems. So all of these things are to rejoice in. All of these things are to take hope from. All of these things are to feel better about. That's what it is. So, <clears throat> however, sometimes our state is that we feel too secure. We feel like everything is going too well. We think that there's nothing that needs to happen now. So in that case, then if we want the door of fear to, uh, to come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we need some fear in Him, then, then think about ourselves. Think about the other direction of movement. Right now, until now, we were thinking of the movement from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to us. Because at the end of the day, even though we're doing the dhikr, it's actually a movement from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to us because He is giving us tawfiq to do so. On the other hand, if we want to feel the huzn and the fear, then see what kind of uh, what kind of wrongs we have done, what kind of misdeeds we have been in, in, uh, uh, engaged in, what kind of uh, uh, sins we're guilty of, uh, what kind of excesses, what kind of boldness in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what kind of, uh, um, uh, you, you can say, shamelessness. To be honest, that's what it is. Immodesty in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not having any shame in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in doing the sins, feeling like we can do it and get away with it without even thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time. Furthermore, beyond that, in the ibadah that we think we're doing, then look at the taqseer and the shortcomings in that ibadah. Are we really fulfilling the rights of this worship? Do we really fulfill the rights of this worship? Are we doing the sunnas and the mustahabs and even the fara'id properly sometimes? Are we really focusing in these things? Or is it just a customary thing that we're doing? Do we really have a spirit in our fasting? Do we really have a spirit in our salat? Or are we just doing it according to how we feel good about it? If it makes us feel good, then we do it. And anything that's too much of a burden for us, we don't do it. We have total negligence sometimes in all of these things. When we start focusing on these things, when we start, uh, thinking, th thinking, about, when, when we start thinking about these things, then 
what you will uh, what you will uh, what you will notice is that then you will start feeling how bad we are then we'll start feeling this disquietude we'll start feeling the fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so these are the ways to open up the two doors these are the ways to open up the two doors if we think about this too much though what can happen sometimes is that the fear will last for too long the grief will beset us and sometimes as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran fatazilla qadamun ba'da thubutiha fatazilla qadamun ba'da thubutiha which means after that the foot slips after having istiqama so too much of it will lead to the foot slipping and thus what may happen eventually is that a person will have a bad opinion about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is exactly what happens to some people which makes them lose their faith that they feel that what's the point of all of this when uh, the, the reason they feel like what's the point of all of this is because they feel they can't catch up they don't focus on all the good things that have happened to them they just feel that it's too difficult to do shaitan creates in a, a great sense of despond despondency a great sense of despondency then they feel like doing all sorts of things what we have to remember is that things take time especially if we've been doing something right whatever that may be it takes us time the longer a person has been a smoker unless it's a karamat of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know it just takes that much longer to deal with it and every time you go past a smoker you're going to feel a feeling of wanting a cigarette so it takes a very long time to have all of the desires associated with that particular deed that we may have a challenge with uh, to 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 all of its roots to come out the tree may have you know the top branches we may have pruned off maybe we've gotten rid of the trunk as well but now there's still growth from from the roots that keep coming out because they've been planted in our heart for such a long time and that's why the ulama mentioned that don't ever start a new sin that's why the mashayikh say that the longer you commit a sin thinking oh i only need to do it once more to get my fixed type of thing this is the this is the issue with sin that we feel like we're just going to do it once more we have a feeling of guilt we just feel we'll just do it once more so at least i calm myself down right now and then after that i won't do it again but what we don't realize is that we're just banging the peg in a bit further and further each time we're allowing the roots to grow <coughs> further and further each time so what's happening is that the roots are only getting stronger so even if we feel like we can then cut off the top the roots are still going to take a while to uproot they're going to take longer you're going to have to go for hajj you know, you're going to have to go and sit in a khanqa, in a retreat, in i'tikaf, or whatever the case is. All of these things are there to help take the roots out. Because in a normal day-to-day -day basis, for most of us, we can get rid of the topmost part, the surface. But to get rid of the roots, that's why you need to immerse yourself. That's the immersion. And that's why sometimes uh, the shaykh, in, in, when it comes to i'tikaf, he'll give you uh, sometimes lessons every day, every two days. Whereas outside of the month of Ramadan, it takes seven, eight months to move on to another lesson. Come Ramadan, sometimes he's moving you on to one lesson, two lessons, three lessons uh, within the 10 days. Think, why? How can, how can you? Well, there's a number of benefits there. One is that you've got uh, the, the Sheikh's presence there. So you've got the tawajjuh, the special attention, the special environment that's been created. Everybody around you is doing the same thing. So you get benefit from others because we believe in benefit from induction. Because the Prophet ﷺ himself said that a person who sits with good people is going to benefit from that person. That's a good person because you're going to benefit. And if you sit with evil people, you'll benefit that way. Meaning you'll be harmed in that way. So when you're in that company, in a masjid, in Ramadan, with the shaykh, right? Can you imagine all of these different catalysts that have come together? 
all of these different types of intensities that you got an immersion in the best possible, uh, you know, one of the best possible. If only all of that can happen in Medina Munawwara or Makkah Mukarramah, that would be that would add to it, because uh, you know Makkah Mukarramah, Medina Munawwara on its own is like so great. So you can imagine that if you could have a Khanqa in Medina or Makkah Mukarramah, that would be like, totally amazing. Right? That would be totally amazing. That's what the Prophet ﷺ had with his Sahaba. Of course, then he had the Prophet ﷺ, you had the Prophet ﷺ there as well, right? But they had the best of places. They had the best of immersions. So we might not get this throughout the year, but we need to try to get this as much as possible. And one of the barakat of having a majlis like this is this reason, that you, we get to sit and just do dhikr together one day, after having done it ourselves. And it's easier generally to do it, you just have to get yourself here. It's like with exercise, for many people doing exercise on their own is an extremely boring process, a tedious process. They might, they'd rather do something else in that. But when you actually join a club or join a class or something, you just have to get yourself there. Then they take you for the rest of the one hour, two hours or whatever it is that your exercise is. They will make sure you do it down there because you're in that company, you have to do so. It's the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing. So the Prophet ﷺ said, لَوْلَمْ تُذْنِبُوا so this is to help, this is the Prophet's way of telling us that don't become completely hopeless and despondent when you keep committing a sin here and there. Sometimes. Right? In this hadith, Rasulullah says that if you do not sin, like if you, not meaning if you don't do sin every day, but if you don't happen to commit a sin sometimes. Th this is not to say we should be satisfied with that sin. Again, there's this balance that we have to get. This should not give us this hope that it's okay we can do our sins once in a while because Allah expects us to do sins. It's only when we fail after trying our best. In the beginning stages especially. So... The only thing is that as we get closer to Allah, those lapses will become less and less and more far apart. That's all. Because they say that even the most well-trained horse will still sometimes try to go back to its wildness. But it's easier to get it back on track because it's trained. Whereas a not very well-trained horse, you can't trust it. It will not listen to you all the time. Whereas a well-trained one will listen to you, but sometimes that will also show its asliya. It's not a machine at the end of the day. None of us are machines. You can't just change the chip and khalas. You know, even machines break down in this world. That's the nature of this dunya. So, if you do not happen to sin sometimes, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have taken you away as a group, as a nation, and He would have brought a people, other people who would sin sometimes, but ask for forgiveness. فَيَسْتَغْفِرُونَ That's the most important thing. Once the sin has been committed, meaning, right? Once the sin is sin. Let's not look for asking for forgiveness by committing a sin. It's just afterwards. Then Allah will forgive them and He is the most forgiving and the most merciful. He has to have a manifestation of His being Ghafoor and His being Rahim. That is important. How is He going to manifest that? It has to be manifested somewhere. And essentially all of these different thing, things that we feel in our life, they're just manifestations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names, His personality in a sense. But sometimes He wants to express His mercy on certain people. Sometimes He wants to express His wrath on certain people. It's just the way He is. That's the way He wants it. We can't try to put Him into some kind of 
uh, routine, that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to live within His routine. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you don't happen to sin sometimes, then Allah would take you away and bring about a people who would sin, but then seek forgiveness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forgive them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful and the most forgiving. The indication in this hadith, what this hadith is telling us, is to think of the benevolence from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His gift and His generosity is superior. Is superior according to Allah that a servant thinks of His mercy. It's superior than to for them to keep thinking that Allah is going to take revenge and His wrath is going to come upon me. It's just a better policy. It just works better for people. You know, like in companies, you have certain policies. If we push it too much, it just causes it just causes aggravation within the people. It demoralizes them. We don't get as much production. Whereas if we actually work rather than... I mean, a school is probably a better example, right? Because, okay, in work, the, 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 there is a, a vested interest on part of the employees to uh, make good so that they can earn a decent living and, you know, and get bonuses. But when it comes to a school, for example, how, th- th- there's many books written on this whole psychology of this. How do you get kids to perform well? Right? Do you use a lot of stick or do you use a lot of carrot? And in the West, we definitely use a lot of carrot. Right? Maybe too much in some cases that you kind of just totally flood it and uh, you know once you're flooded then you really can't do much so it's about trying to get a balance i mean this is what these studies are doing they're trying to get a balance so these uh, books on the path this is what they're trying to teach us they're trying to teach us a balance of how we can be with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how we can be with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the better policy is that we think of the mercy and benevolence of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than too much his wrath and anger and his ability to take revenge and punish and so on and so forth. There's, there are two characteristics, there are two ways of looking at this, above which there, are, there is no other goodness. Meaning these are two superior forms of characteristics in terms of goodness. Husnu dhanni billah. Husnu dhanni billah wa husnu dhanni bi'ibadillah. Which is to have good opinion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To hold good opinions about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, this is speaking to people on the path. This is not to speaking to just anybody outside who doesn't even care about doing good deeds. And then they have just good hopes about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's going to be a delusion. So remember, this is all geared towards people who are trying, who have fear in them. So he's telling them, no, have good hopes with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have good hopes with people from people as well. You know, sometimes you sit with negative people, they talk about everything is negative. Right? I sat with a taxi driver the other day. And he, he, was, he was from, uh, he's a Lithuanian or uh, Romanian. Romanian, but stayed in Germany sometime, uh, for some time, then got married here, so he is from here. But he was just complaining about everything. Like you don't have to complain about everything. These are just matters of life. These are just things that happen in life. You can't complain about everything. Complaining becomes an attitude. And then it's very difficult to root out because it becomes the way you speak. It's the way you pass your time. That's your conversation point with people, just to complain. You really can't get much in life after that. 
So that's why he's saying husnul bin nas, having good. Now look, sometimes I've actually been told sometimes, no, you have to understand. You, you know, you have to. You can't just have good hopes about everybody all the time. I feel completely comfortable. I know they've got problems. I know people have problems. At the back of my mind, we all know that. But when dealing with them, and especially as an imam, for example, or as a da'wah worker, or as a teacher, or whatever it may be, you have to do that. Because if you start thinking bad about people, then your whole approach to things change. That's the problem. Emotions affect our approach to things. Right? We start approaching things differently, and then we start messing things up differently. So why do I have to focus on the negative? It's not like I'm doing any deal with them. Yes, if I'm doing a deal with them, then I will focus on the negative because I don't want to be burnt. But when it's just a relationship, normal relationship as a brother to a brother, then what's the problem with that? Why should I be negative? I understand the negativity inside. You know, I understand there's bad points and there could be possibilities, but come on, that, that doesn't encroach on, uh, that doesn't impinge on what we're doing here. So in general, you don't have to think about people's negatives. So he said those two are some of the best policies that you can have as characteristics. Good opinion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and good opinion about people. And then he says there are two characteristics above which there are no further evil characteristics, no, you know, no, no worse evil characteristics, which is su'udhani billah. Having bad opinion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What have you got left then? What can be worse than that? What hope do we have afterwards? If, if we think Allah can't do anything for us, then who can do anything for us? There are people like this. I'm going to hell anyway, they say. I'm going to hell anyway, they say. I mean, subhanAllah, I shouldn't mention this, but somehow I came across Marilyn Manson's interview. You just wonder. At, but the way they speak, they justify what they do. The weird makeup, the weird words they use, the weird shows and performances they put on. I don't know if you guys know about Marilyn Manson or not, but like Shaitan incarnate or something. And they justify it. You should hear that when they speak, they, they literally justify If you're not looking at them, it sounds like some reasonable person giving a good logical explanation. Of course, it's, it's all corrupt, but you just can't reconcile. But that's the human ability to show things differently than, than the way they are. We can all do that. We can all be mini shaitans when we want to. And Allah help us, Allah protect us. So, su'udhani billah, and this is just a, a feeling of escape, trying to find solace and comfort elsewhere when you've lost hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you've lost hope. We have lost hope, not, not Allah. And the other one is obviously su'udhani bi'ibadillah, which is to uh, have bad opinion about other people, about the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a third state. Now, what can you know? We we generally feel that there's one state of the, the other state, this state of either openness and hope in Allah or fear in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But there is a third state. You know what? What is the logical possibility here of a third state? It's the state of the accomplished ones, who have learned to deal with both states, who don't have to open up the door here or there. They're already regulated. They've got a uh, you know, you know, for people who have diabetes, they have to take medicine. 
or the insulin. But there is a, a gadget that you can actually just wear in, on you with a needle 24 hours a day and it checks your blood every hour or something like that or every half an hour and it, it, uh, it, it injects you with insulin automatically. So you don't have to do anything. It just does everything for you. So that's what they've got on. Something like that. So it's regulated. No amount of fear or hope makes any difference to them. They're always balanced. They've always got a balance between the two. They're flying straight. They've learned to fly. Because you know what they say is that hope and fear is like the two different wings of a bird. Hope and fear. If one is too heavy, the bird is going to be uh, flying lopsided or may not fly at all. May continue to crash. And this is our situation. Once you've got the balance, then they can fly. But obviously that is something that has to be learnt with effort. Mujahada will bring about that. Because we've been corrupted during our life. And imbalanced during our life. Had we not been imbalanced, had we been brought up in the best of environments, you know, with absolutely no adulteration or pollution, in the best of companies, then we wouldn't have this problem. We would probably still have the problem because it's an emotional problem that as a human being we probably have. But we have to learn to regulate. So these people have a regulator. So that's the third people. How do they do this? Now, this is their trick. This is the way they do it. This third state is for a person to be totally oblivious, right? Totally absent from the feelings of hope or fear. They don't affect them, right? Hope or fear, how? You know, they told us in the beginning, if you want more hope, then think of all the bounties that are coming from Allah, that He made us Muslim and He gives us the tawfiq to remember Him and so on and so forth. If you want to fear, uh, f uh, if you want to increase your hope, uh, your fear, then think of all of the shortcomings from our side to Him. These people are absent from both of these things because for them, they only witness things coming from Allah to Allah. They don't figure in this at all. Everything they do is they realize that it's coming from Allah and that's it. And it's going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So only Allah figures in their life. Right? They're just very mind-boggling as it is. You know, like how do you disengage yourself where you become a nothing and Allah is everything. So once you're in that state, then there will be tranquility. And then that rings a bell. That is the nafsul mutma'inna where that nafs which is not in flux anymore is comfortable with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's how Idris uh, uh, Ayyub could say I leave it to Allah they won't complain they are satisfied with the way Allah keeps them because they're oblivious to it doesn't make a difference whatever the state they're going to do their worship they're going to their, their, their connection and their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be the same. So, uh, Shaykh Abdullah Gungu, he explains this as 
the uh, uh, so basically what Ibn Atayla had said, if you want the hopes, if you want the door of hope open for you, then consider what comes to you from him, from Allah. But if you want the door of sadness open for you, then consider what goes to him from you. The Salik maintains a perception of the state of his ego and the evils perpetrated by him. As a result, we all have a, uh, any Salik, any person who's on the path, is going to be concerned about the kind of deeds we're doing. Because if the one thing that Sulu gives you is this concern, that's what Sulu gives you. It gives you a concern. You might not give you too much practice in the beginning. You know, we may still slack out in practice, but we definitely feel guilty. Every day we don't do dhikr, we're going to feel guilty about it. Right? You might not make us do it the next day straight away. You need a bit more effort for that. But at least it will make us feel guilty to a certain degree. Right? So the Salik maintains a perception of the state of his ego and the evils perpetrated by him. As a result, his heart suffers grief and despondency. Sometimes he is overwhelmed by despair and he loses hope in the mercy of Allah. At times when the despair becomes excessive, the Salik will even abandon the ritual prayer. I've seen people like this. I've stopped praying. Just can't do it. I'm just giving up. Abandon ritual prayer, fasting, etc. It is therefore essential that the aspect of divine mercy be kept in view. That's why divine mercy has to be kept in view. That door has to be opened up once in a while. When despair sets in, the Salik should employ his intelligence. He should bring into contemplation all the bounties and favors that Allah Most High has conferred on him. He should then convince himself that if Allah was about to destroy him, he would not have blessed him with so many outer and inner favors. Why would he? He would not have blessed him with so many outer and inner favors. He should meditate for a considerable time. That should become your muraqaba. Just sit and think about that. Allah Most High will hopefully open the door of hope for the Salik and the state of despair will be dispelled. Insha'Allah. Sometimes the opposite condition settles over the Salik, perceiving his good deeds. He develops vanity and self-esteem. A friend of mine was a sheikh in America. He says that there was a guy who was contacting him, who lived in a kind of a rural area, started becoming practicing, kept a beard, used to walk a few miles to the masjid just to be there and so on. And, you know, he was... He started becoming a salik, I think, in a sense. My friend didn't mention that, but I'm assuming that if he was in contact with him, then that may have been the case. Some time later, he gets an email from him that he must have not heard from him or whatever. And, you know, uh, and then he says, you know what? I've given up everything. I don't pray anymore. And I'm working in a bar now. And I feel comfortable. What happened to him? You wonder what happened to him. I mean, after reading this, what comes to mind is that the person may have fallen into this kind of uh, burnout and despondency must have set in and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He doesn't know that you can open the door of mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and think about that. That's the muraqaba you need. That's why shuyukh, you know, one is we have this 35 steps that we have, this asbaq of the muraqaba on the lataif and so on. But there are other side muraqabat and uh, you can say 
meditations like this for example that's given for this particular state just sit and think about the mercy of Allah on you because you've got so much despondency and this is how the mind works sometimes we just feel so realistic and real but really we are influenced by different things you hear a lecture you could have been staunch on something but you hear a lecture is put in a different way it does convince you sometimes you have an opinion about something you read an editorial about something else or an article about something else and there's some good points in there you will shift over you will soften in your approach of course some people are just absolute stubborn people right that's different but most people will soften out if you keep an open mind in these things so this is what you call you know this this is the remedy for burnout So he should meditate uh, for a considerable time on this aspect. Allah Most High will hopefully open up the door of hope for the salik and the state of despair will be dispelled. Sometimes the opposite condition settles over the salik. Perceiving his good deeds, he develops vanity and self-esteem. Self-esteem. And then what happens? On such occasions, the salik should call to memory his acts of disobedience and transgression. This contemplation will engender fear in him. I, I would say the first state, uh, the fear state, uh, you know, over fear, that is probably what happens to most people in the beginning. I think the second part is what happens mostly for people who get a bit more advanced sometimes. Again, it's sometimes. In conclusion, the Salik should not be overwhelmed by despair, nor should he have excessive hopes that will render him audacious. He should adopt moderation. And we've already done this one, uh, we've already talked about this one before, but it's related. Hope goes in hand in hand with deeds, otherwise it is just a mere wish. So when you have hope, you have to have action with it, otherwise just mere hope doesn't help. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us a tawfiq. Allahumma anta salamu minka salam tabaraki adil jalali wa ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qiyum bi rahmatika nastaghif. اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Oh Allah, oh Allah, forgive us our bad states. Oh Allah, forgive us our evil deeds. Oh Allah, forgive us our life of shortcomings, our life of life of guilt, life of sins, life of despondency. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you have your mercy on us. Oh Allah, we ask that you have your mercy on us. Oh Allah, you give us contemplation about our bad deeds. Oh Allah, we ask that you regulate our state so that we're constantly, we're constantly feeling secure with you. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you grant us hope, greater hope in you. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from despondency. Oh Allah, protect us from despondency. Protect us from gloom. Protect us from the grief that besets those who your punishment is about to come upon. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you give us from your mercy and you forgive, forgive us our sins. You forgive us, uh, you forgive us our deeds, your bad deeds. Oh Allah, there are many things that we have done thinking that nothing will happen, thinking that we're secure, thinking that we'll be successful. Oh Allah, oh Allah, many times you've covered our misdeeds, you've covered our sins. And that's made us even bolder. That's made us think that nothing will happen. So we continue and we persist in our sins. 
Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you forgive us our excesses, that you fill our hearts with your love and the love of those who love you. You grant us good company and a good environment. You remove the obstacles from our life. Oh Allah, that you grant us the kalima on our deathbed. The kalima on our deathbed. Oh Allah, we ask that you allow us your, your name to emanate from our heart all the time so it will spontaneously emanate at the time of our death. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you allow us to remember you. Allow us to remember you in this world frequently. Oh Allah, we ask that you make your obedience beloved to our hearts so that we want to do it. And you make your disobedience hated in our heart so that we hate to do it. Oh Allah, we ask you to give us the success of this world and more specifically the success of the hereafter. Oh Allah, make our successes of this world the successes of the hereafter. Oh Allah, make us see everything through your pleasure. Oh Allah, allow us to do everything for your pleasure. Oh Allah, allow us to abstain for everything that is not done for your pleasure. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you grant us ikhlas and sincerity. You give us ikhlas and sincerity. You give us a true concern for ourselves and others. Oh Allah, to help ourselves and help others. Oh Allah, to reach you and to better themselves. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you give you give all of those things you've given to the mashaykh of the past, to the great people of the past. Oh Allah, you, we ask that you increase your mercy towards us, your barakat and blessing towards us, your attention towards us. Oh Allah, we're also your servants. Oh Allah, we're also trying. Oh Allah, we also fail. But oh Allah, we know that you're the merciful Lord. Oh Allah, we know that you're the merciful Lord. Oh Allah, we ask, we, we ask you to treat us with your mercy, especially on the Day of Judgment. Oh Allah, to treat us with your grace. Oh Allah, to ask, we ask that you grant us, you, you grant us uh, conduciveness around us for all good things. You grant us good company. You grant us good company. Oh Allah, we ask that you make all aspects of our life easy for us and blessed for us and keep us away from the wrongs and the haram deeds. Oh Allah, we have many deep-rooted evil desires in our hearts, deep-rooted sins and habits in our hearts, deep-rooted greed and lusts in our hearts. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you remove these bad characteristics and bad inner traits and this evil from our heart. That you purify us, that you purify us. Oh Allah, we ask that you guide us aright when it comes to confusing issues. You show us the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. And you show us the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from all the evil that is out there. You protect us, our children, our families from all the evil that is out there. Oh Allah, and that you grant us the company of your Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Oh Allah, oh Allah, Ramadan is coming up. We ask that you make this Ramadan the best Ramadan that we've ever spent in our life. You make it a turning point for us. You allow its benefits. You allow us, you, you grant us tawfiq to do all extra worship, O oh Allah, and really place our efforts and place our hopes in you during this month of Ramadan, O oh Allah. And we ask that you allow us to maintain the worships that we do during this month of Ramadan after you give us tawfiq to do them. And you don't allow us to waste them and to go back to square one after we finish the month of Ramadan. Oh Allah, make this Ramadan truly a blessed one for all of us, for all of us and for all the Muslimin of the world, so that we can be removed from the oppressions around the world. Oh Allah, make this Ramadan a source of blessing for the brothers and sisters in Syria 
and in all of the other countries in Iraq and other places where they're suffering. Oh Allah, we ask that you make it a blessing for everyone around the world. You make this truly a, a, a Ramadan of blessing. Oh Allah, but you make us worthy of that blessing first. Oh Allah, make us worthy of receiving that blessing. Make all the people around the world worthy of that blessing. Turn us all towards you. Turn us all towards you. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun alil mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin.